Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is a panel discussion that I gave at VGMCon here in Minneapolis over the weekend of March 6th through the 8th, so just a few days ago. I talked about how I put together this podcast and the general workflow, and I answer questions from the audience, perhaps with a bit too much self-deprecation at times, but whatever. VGMCon, by the way, had record attendance this year. Such a great con, very tight-knit community here, fabulous live shows, and we would love to see you there next year. All right, here you go. Here's the thing. Hi, thanks for coming so early in the morning uh, at the end of the convention. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of how I prepare for interviews and getting into podcasting. Um, I've been doing a video game music podcast since 2011, <laughs> uh, so for quite some time, and I've had an opportunity to do a lot of interviews. Yeah. What's it called? Uh, it started off as Top Score, and now it's called Level with Emily. Mm-hmm. Yep, so uh, there's nice, nice little treasure trove there of fun for you. <laughs> uh, so I guess um, getting, you, and you can ask questions, you know, obviously, whenever you like, uh, but I do have a little outline here just <laughs> in preparation. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> um, it says, please speak directly into the mic, but I'm not going to do that. So <laughs> that's just weird. Uh, but I got into doing the podcast uh, back in 2011 because um, Tommy Tallarico's show came to the Minnesota Orchestra. Do you guys, have you ever seen um, his show? Um, and I did an interview and it became the most popular article. And it was only an article, an interview that I turned into an article. It was the pop, most popular article that had ever been on Classical Minnesota Public Radio's website. And so they're like, hmm. And I said, yes, people care. And uh, so that's how the podcast started. My producer, Sam Keenan, who st I still work with to make the podcast, uh, was the one who originally suggested the idea in the first place to do a podcast. And uh, that's kind of how that got started. And I left NPR in 2015 and started Level pretty much right away. And we've just kind of been cooking along ever since. We do an, an episode every other week consistently. Uh, sometimes there's an, an in-betweener. Um, and I guess over the years, I've certainly learned a lot about how to interview people in my day job now. I do the morning show at the jazz station here in town, so I'm doing, on average, two live interviews every day, every morning. And that kind of makes you have to be a little better at asking questions too, which is my weakness, is just saying what I need to say and shutting up. So that's uh, one of my suggestions I'll get to in, in a little bit. But I think it's pretty obvious to us now in 2020 that a podcast can and maybe even should be about something kind of niche, a, kind of a real specialty thing, because this is a big world and there you're going to find an audience of people who uh, are interested in the same things. Um, any questions so far? I <laughs> Um, and, and in terms of finding uh, who to talk to, I am a gamer, so a lot of it comes from what games I'm playing. Um, like right now, I'm playing Moonlighters. Anybody played Moonlighter? Okay, that's a fun little 8-bit, like dungeon crawler, kind of little indie thing going on. You played it? Yeah. I see you 
You've seen it, yeah. It's it's a goodie. Um, slime Rancher, yeah. Slime Rancher, so so random, but super fun. And um, I do love really big AAA open world experiences uh, as well. So um, things along those lines. Um, so if if that doesn't help me out, I you know I ask who list who the people listening to the podcast. What do they want to hear? You know, who are you? interested in, what music have you enjoyed, what games have you liked. Um, when we record, we do it in a way, uh, we're interviewing people in the audio industry, so most of these people have the ability to record themselves on their end. You know, if I was doing a podcast about architecture, that might be a little more complicated to, to kind of coax someone through that process, although it's still easy enough to do, uh, but an audio professional, they usually have a decent setup so they can record their half, I record my half, I also record however we're talking, whether it's Skype or Google Chat or Discord or it has to be a, a voice over IP thing, um, but that's, that's how we do that. And then I use a program called Audio Hijack. I don't know how that program is legal. I seriously have no idea how this is like a legally licensed piece of software because you can record anything. I record YouTube videos with it. I record audio, audio right? I, you can literally hijack audio from any source in your, in your uh, computer, including Skype and stuff. So that's how I record the call. And then I can just line up both halves. It sounds like, usually sounds like we're in the same room. Sometimes it doesn't, but uh, yeah. It's called Audio Hijack. Yeah, seriously. Write it down. <laughs> and I think it's still less than 100 bucks. It used to be 40 bucks, and now I think it's, I think it's at least doubled. Um, but still, I think it's still under 100 bucks. And it's invaluable. Like, that, that software is in, invaluable. It, it prevent, because a lot of times when you're recording, people are like, do we need to clap at the same time? Or you're like, no, I'm recording the call. I can line it up that way. So it helps. And it makes it sound so much better too, if they're recording their half, then if you're just ripping them off of Skype or something, because you guys know how voice over internet can be kind of choppy, and uh, so it helps get rid of that problem. So if nothing else, go get yourself audio hijacked today. <laughs> um, and then as far as how we all piece all of that together, I do all the editing, uh, so Sam, what Sam's uh, role is, is once it's edited, I give it to Sam and he mixes it because he's an actual audio engineer, which I am definitely not. So he'll add a little compression or whatever to make things sound even better. He cleans up some of my sloppy edits and, and things like that. And I'm really fortunate to have him be able to do that. Um, but we use Logic, which is not what I would ever recommend for you making a podcast. It's, logic is really more for um, musicians, composers, people who are recording themselves. It, it's fine because you know it is a digital audio workstation, which is what you would want to use. It's just a little less, I'd say it's a little less user-friendly. Um, my preference is Pro Tools, but I know a lot of people use Reaper, which is, I believe, free. I think you can, um, use it commercially if you do pay a license. Uh, but Reaper, what, one of the things that I, uh, what I understand about Reaper is that you can, 
turn it in, you can make it look like any interface you're used to using. So you can get Reaper and make it look like Pro Tools, or you can make it look like Logic or something like that. I've just been way too lazy to figure all that out. But, uh, but Pro Tools to me is, is much more oriented for uh, audio, strict audio, not music. Uh, so it makes it a little easier to move pieces around as you're juggling you know, audio track one, which would be me, track two, which would be the interviewer, and then potentially up to two music tracks, you know, depending on how you're mixing the music. Um, yeah, so, so that's pretty much how that works, and then, you know, once Sam mixes it, we upload it, and it's done. Um, yeah, any questions so far? On, yeah. How long do your edits and posts, like, typically either in terms of time or effort or like, like what, what really goes into taking all the raw audio and like compiling it all together? I don't yes, that's an excellent question. What goes into compiling all the raw audio and making it into a podcast? Um, from the point the audio is done, so let's assume we've already prepped for the interview and all that stuff. Um, I'm pretty fast now, <laughs> which is nice, but I used to be really painfully slow and I used to also edit out almost every single um and uh and but and uh 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 and now I just am like that's people don't people don't talk like that <laughs> and plus with the ubiquity of podcasts in the world no one edits like that so I let a lot more go now than I used to I used to be so so nitpicky about it and it would take time accordingly um, for a half an hour interview, I can probably edit that within two hours. Um, something that's a little less music heavy, like say I'm interviewing a voice actor, um, that's going to go a lot faster because I'm not mixing in music and figuring out what music to do. I prefer to do the music as I'm doing the edit. Um, I've certainly done it in the past where I'll just edit all the talk out and leave chunks of space for music, but to me, the flow always comes out better if I'm doing it concurrently. So, you know, that, that makes that better, but can take a lot of time too. Yeah. Um, so how long, if you've got an X-length interview, how much of that gets kept and how much of it gets cut? That's a really good question. How much of each interview gets kept and how much of each interview gets cut? Much of that depends on the interview subject themselves. Um, I did one time, it was probably, this has probably been eight years ago now. I did an interview of a very famous conductor at Orchestra Hall for the Minnesota Orchestra. And he, I asked him one question and he talked for an hour and 15 minutes and I didn't keep any of it. <laughs> I didn't keep any of it. Which conductor was it? Because I worked there. Nope. <laughs> no, I have not given that man up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that one was rough. <laughs> but normally, um, you know, I, I cut out a lot of my own interjection because sometimes when I'm speaking with someone you know maybe I'll say something like oh that reminds me of this time that I blah 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 but most listeners they're not listening for that from me they're listening to the person so normally the majority of what's getting cut out of an interview is me um, but I would say I will cut out 
often things that if the composer advertently or inadvertently is making the developer sound bad or, you know, I cut out negative stuff because that doesn't do anybody any favors. And that's unusual, but it happens. But I would say of a 30-minute interview, five minutes at the beginning and three minutes at the end is shooting the shit and the rest stays, you know. So it's usually the very top and the very end that is pretty easy to just delete right away because nobody is like, hello, how are you? It's nice to meet you. I've not talked to you in five years or whatever it is, you know. So that all goes. Any other questions thus far? Do you let your um, interviewee review the edits before going live? Oh, that's a good question. Do I let the interviewee review edits before I let it go live? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's happened once or twice, and it's always, it, it's the two, I think it's happened twice. One time was from a AAA, and the other time was from some indie, and you're just like, seriously, don't. I, I mean, and it's their comfort level. Um, almost no one asks in the first place. So I would say almost never, yeah. But, but because no one asks, yeah. Do you, do you or have you tried or have you thought about, um, then if you're not going to send it to them, asking them, like, hey, so is there anything in particular that you want to be kept in or cut out of this? Yeah, there is, um, do I ask people if they want to cut things out? Most of the time, if people, and this has certainly happened, if someone has a conscience about something they said after the fact, they might send me an email and say, hey, do you mind? I didn't really explain myself well. Or It's usually something like that, where they feel like they weren't clear about something. Um, I've redone interviews multiple times for people like that who just get really nervous and just don't want, <laughs> just don't know, you know, they just maybe want a dry run. And I understand that. That makes sense, you know. Um, so yeah, that's happened. I, there is an agent that I work with that represents a lot of AAA composers, and our mode of operation is once an interview is complete, uh, usually whoever he's representing sends their audio to him. He listens to their half before he sends it to me. And then he'll say, please cut this, 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 and out, this, this, that out. And it's usually really obvious. I'm like, I, of course I'm gonna cut that out. Like. <laughs> So, but that's kind of how that relationship works. So, so that happens on the front end as well. So in that regard, I guess it does happen a lot if I'm working with that particular agent and those folks, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Anything else right now? All right. <laughs> Let me see what else I have written down here. Oh, um... <laughs> Staying on topic and staying organized during an interview can be complicated, certainly with uh, certain guests, um, just depending on how chatty someone is. Or uh, So I always keep something nearby, whether it's I'm typing it while they're talking or I'm writing it down to the question I want to ask next. Um, because the question that you want to ask next, when, you, when you're talking to someone and you think of what to ask them next, 
you can either then keep thinking about that until they're done talking, or you can write it down and stop thinking about it until they're done talking. And so that's the route I prefer. Um, so I used to keep a whiteboard. I don't do that anymore, really. Um, I usually just type it down or type it out or just make a couple words. And that, it's remarkable how much that helps the flow of the conversation stay flowy. Um, and like I said, I usually have a lot of trouble just asking a question and just getting it done. Uh, so I have to really think about the words that are coming out of my mouth before I say them, uh, which is surprising how little we actually do that <laughs> when we're talking. So, um, and I do have them written out as well. I have my questions written out ahead of time, 99.9% .9 of the time. I formulate those questions as I'm listening to the soundtrack. It's as simple as that. So, yeah. Any questions so far? I'm not necessarily related to staying on topic, but I remember that I wanted to ask it earlier. <laughs> um, do you tend to reach out to your interviewees, or do people reach out to you to be interviewed? Both. Both. Yeah, both. I would say more often than not, I'm reaching out. Um, it's probably about 70-30, me reaching out and then repeat guests just saying, hey, I have this new project I want to talk about. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's about it. I, I'd say there are probably just a handful of agents that cover all the biggies, so that makes that pretty easy in terms of the biggest projects. Um, and indie projects, a lot of times it's the composer themselves just reaching out and saying, hey, I just, this is coming out next month. Can we do a thing? So, yeah. Also, do you have a favorite episode? <laughs> um, I figured someone might ask me that. And so I chose my favorite episode lately because, I mean, my favorite episode of all time, I always say, is the one I did with and it's so funny because it was probably like my fourth interview. It's probably sounds like I haven't listened to it in years. But um, the heavy rain composer, Norman Corbet, who died a couple years later of pancreatic cancer. And I loved his music so much. And I loved that conversation so much. That's a top, that's, that one's under the top score name. So that's probably eight years old now. But, um, but lately, I, I really loved a conversation I had with Justin Bell, who did the music for Outer Worlds, the Outer Worlds. <laughs> did anybody play the Outer Worlds? Yeah, okay. Did anybody play Outer Wilds? Okay, yeah. So I interviewed that guy too, and that was a great conversation. But, but um, the Outer Worlds, uh, I really loved. I, I really loved Justin's writing, um, and I thought it just went so well with that game. That, I don't know, what did you guys think of the music in that game? Did you like Outer Worlds? Yeah. Did you play it through once, or have you gone more than once? I just played like an hour. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Did you do a, a full playthrough with that? Yeah. No, I put like a good 40 hour into it. Oh, wow, okay, okay, yeah. I've been thinking about doing another playthrough because I really enjoyed it, but, um, but I don't know, I really liked uh, talking with him, and I, I really loved some of the things he did musically. Uh, it's, to me, He's in-house at Obsidian, so he works for Obsidian, which is not 
too common for composers. You know, a lot of the composers are freelance, so they're contracted to do that game, and then they contract with another company or however that works. And a lot of times, I mean, in-house composers, I think, you know, the music is, that's just like the sound of Obsidian. But I think Justin is really kind of an individual composer, and I don't know, I just, I really liked what he did, so, yeah. I don't know, that's a fun episode, I think. <laughs> uh, any other questions right now? Okay. Um, so this kind of goes to what your question was, what kind of both you were asking about cutting things out. Um, there are so many podcasts, there's like billions of podcasts, and it really can matter how good it sounds. And that speaks to, you know, like using Audio Hijack to get capture good audio if you're interviewing someone or whatever it means. Just make it sound as good as possible. Make your guests sound as good as possible within reason, you know, depending on what kind of topic you're talking about. But it is, you know, the time of the era in the world where there's so many podcasts. And the better yours sounds, the better chance people might want to listen to it, you know? I don't know. Um, yeah. Questions? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, you do a lot of game composers. Did most of them get their start through college, or did they kind of, like, work on the outside? Like, what's the yeah. trends are there? Good question. How do game composers get their start? Many game composers now have gone to school for composition of some kind. I don't know too many that aren't that don't have some kind of music degree. I know Jack Wall doesn't. Uh, I think Jack Wall, Mass Effect composer, and he's done Call of Duty and a million other things. Um, I think his degree was civil engineering or something like that. Uh, so that is to say you can still, you know, obviously be a really successful musician, but, you know, I think now there are so many programs, you know, particularly at Berkeley or USC are the two that I can think of off the top of my head that, you know, have professors who are actually doing the craft as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of that available now, so I think it's, I don't know if it makes it easier or harder, but I would say, you know, most of them have definitely studied music, uh, composition of, of some type, so, yeah. Uh, and then it's a matter of either knowing someone, like for instance, uh, the Supergiant crew, right? All the Bas Bastion and um, Transistor and Pyre and what are their other games? Is that the three of them? There's, okay, yeah. Okay, so like those guys all went to school together. So, you know, that's how Darren got that job, right? Uh, so, and that's, that happens a lot in gaming too. Um, that, that's how Outer Wilds happened with Andrew Prollo. Uh, he went, went to USC and knew the people making that game. So, um, and that's an opportunity I suppose school provides that might be more difficult to find, but in, a, in an area like this, we've got all kinds of avenues to get into, like game jams. That's another way people get in, I know. So, but I am a composer. I am not, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, what other questions? Ooh, that, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so you just said you're not a composer, but how did you get into like, 
what did you start interviewing? Music? Yeah. Um, probably because I love music and I'm not very good at writing it or performing it. <laughs> So I think um, I just really love talking about it, and I've found this way to be able to do that. Um, I also do another podcast called Scores and Pours, which is about wine and classical music, and that one's super fun. That's my co-host right there, Jill Mott. She's a wine expert, <laughs> and uh, it's it's that's a completely different feel because, first of all, I'm talking about classical music. Uh, and it's also co-hosted, so I'm not interviewing. We're talking to each other, which is a really fun dynamic. Um, so I get to do that. I get to talk about jazz in the mornings at the station, and then I get to talk about video game music. Um, and I, I mean, I did go to school for music. I, I was a music head major in my undergrad, and then I got a music theory master's degree. And I got into radio when I was doing my master's degree, and that... I, I remember I had to make the decision then if I was going to go get my PhD or if I was going to stay in radio. And I remember meeting with my advisor and she was just like, listen, you can always go back to school, but you're, you've got this cool radio gig right now. This is in Nebraska. And uh, try that for a while. And I did. So that's kind of how all that happened. And I just found it a very satisfying way to still be really involved in the world of music without the pressure of performing or really the pressure of needing to be an expert per se. Um, just being able to share a passion and get people excited about great music, which there's so many different kinds of great music. It's like, yeah, <laughs> do a podcast on a million different kinds of music. <laughs> Any other questions? What kinds of podcasts? Oh, what, go ahead. How does your own genre taste influence how the interviews work? Because there's, well, I mean, there yeah. is a classical jazz element to quite a bit of yes. music, but there's also now a very, it's actually diversifying. Yeah, that's a, a great question about how my own tastes influence. And, you know, that's huge because it's like, when I'm listening to music right now, it's almost always for some job. It's always for a podcast or for the station. Not always, but... Um, so that does make it kind of interesting in terms of, like, <clears throat> what my outside influences are because they're not necessarily even outside influences. Um, but as far as my own personal tastes, I know... You know, that colors it a lot, I think, even more so in the other podcasts and Scores and Pours because I have very specific classical tastes and very specific classical knowledge. Um, so that, you know, only means my toolkit is so big, I guess. Um, as far as video game music, I'm pretty much down for anything. I did not, I, I don't know if you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up gaming, so I had this... I had an Atari and I got mad and threw the controller and my mom took it away forever. So I didn't have a console, I never had a Nintendo, so I don't have the nostalgic connection to that music that a lot of people my age uh, do. So that definitely affects the kinds of interviews you hear on 
uh, on the game podcast because I'm not actively seeking out, you know, 8-bit or there's so many great cover albums out right now where people like cover Chrono Cross or whatever. And I kind of stay away from a lot of that too. Um, Yeah. Does that kind of answer that question? Anything else or should we go play some indie games? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for coming. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to episode 127 of Level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc. 